0: What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Will Clemente is the lead insights analyst at BlockWare. In this conversation, we talk about Bitcoin, the market structure, on-chain analytics, and where we go from here. I really enjoyed this weekly conversation with Will, as always, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. Our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Coinbase Wallet, your key to the world of crypto. Crypto isn't made to just buy, sell, and hold. With Coinbase Wallet, you can do so much more. Collect more NFTs, earn more with DeFi, and trade more than 4,000 tokens. Whether you're looking to play, stake, spend, or just explore a trending new protocol, Coinbase Wallet is your key to more. Longtime holders already know that wallets are a must-have if you want complete control of your crypto. That's why Coinbase Wallet makes self-custody simple while providing the safety and security of the most trusted name in crypto. Visit Coinbase.com wallet to learn more. Again, that's Coinbase.com slash wallet and learn more today. Today's episode is brought to you by Unstoppable Domains. Unstoppable Domains is the number one provider of NFT domains. These aren't traditional domains. These are domains with superpowers. With your unique NFT domain, such as Pomp.Crypto or Pomp.NFT, you can replace your long, complex wallet addresses, verify ownership of your NFTs, enjoy the tens of thousands of people who are now using their NFT domain as their Twitter and Discord usernames. Go to UnstoppableDomains.com and get your name .nft, or a range of other endings for as low as $5. And never worry about gas or renewal fees, because with Unstoppable Domains, you pay once and you own it forever. Head on over to UnstoppableDomains.com today to check out more about what they've got. Again, go there and you can get any domain with any ending for as low as $5. UnstoppableDomains.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Arculus. Cryptocurrencies offer boundless potential, but how will you protect your crypto? Arculus is the next generation crypto cold storage wallet that combines the world's strongest security protocols on the Arculus key card with an easy to use Arculus wallet app. With over 20 years of experience developing leading-edge secure payment technologies, Compose Secure created Arculus to give you the power to protect your financial future. You can buy, store, swap, send, and receive your crypto with a simple tap of your Arculus keycard to your mobile device. Your private keys are encrypted on the Arculus keycard, and they never leave it. Stay safe from hackers with no cords, no charging, no Bluetooth. The only person accessing your crypto is you. Buy Arculus on Amazon today at amazon.com slash Arculus. Again, you can buy Arculus on Amazon today at amazon.com slash Arculus. All right, let's get in this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an
1: expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only.
0: We have Will Clemente joining us. Will, how are you, buddy? I'm good, brother. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Today's an exciting day. Bitcoin hitting 45,000. I saw you tweeting up a storm, all kinds of different thoughts. How are you feeling about sentiment in uh, on Twitter and kind of in the market in general?
1: I'm good. It, you know, it's it's, it's pretty mixed. Um, you know, I feel like some people are still kind of in disbelief, but you do have a few people in the timeline who are kind of euphoric. So it uh, seems like a, a good kind of mix here. I mean, general vibe does kind of feel like disbelief though hey
0: what uh, what bears have to remember is that you could be bearish at certain points and you may make a little bit of money, but ultimately you're picking up pennies in front of the steamroll. This is a decades-long trend, and we only going up. And so, Bears along- win the battle, Bulls win the war. So Facts. My Facts. Will like, yeah. you should be on a plaque somewhere for saying that? That's a great, uh, <laughs> great thing. All right, talk to us about some of these charts you got. First is you've got the uh, this price chart, and you got a whole bunch of different levels, uh, green and red, that are outlined here. What is this showing us?
1: Yeah, as you just said, these are basically just price levels I drew out. I think the, the kind of main point I wanted to just get across here was just saying that I think at this point, we're kind of right below major resistance. And so from like a short-term kind of trading perspective, uh, I don't think the RR here being, you know, like gig along is great until we clear that resistance. Um, you know, you never want to buy right below resistance. You never want to sell you know, right before we hit major support. And so just from that perspective, um, as we're kind of pressing up against that major resistance, um, you know, if I was a short-term trader and I wasn't already long, I would kind of just, you know, wait out to see what the reaction here is at this level. Uh, But nonetheless, again, we're approaching this, you know, major resistance level both kind of in this consolidation pattern that we've been in, as well as just, you know, horizontal price structure, uh, going back over the last year or so, uh, which is right around 46, 47 K. Um, that's also around the yearly open. There's a few different moving averages over there as well. Uh, but that's kind of a, you know, as I feel like we've been talking about for several weeks or whatever, um, that's kind of a, a key level that I've been watching. And then another kind of, well, I have two other ways you can look at confluence with this. In addition to everything I just said, uh, the first one is the next chart, which is short-term holder cost basis. So we talked about this last week. So I don't want to like pee myself too much, um, but essentially this is the aggregated cost basis of all market participants that have been in the market for less than 155 days or less than five months. Um, and right now this kind of aggregated cost basis sits at 46,200. Uh, it does kind of move around a bit, you know, week to week whenever we speak, but generally it's been hanging out around 46 to 47 K. Uh, as of today, it's sitting at 46,200. And then the last kind of thing that I wanted to point out for on the confluence of 46 to 47 K being kind of a, an important level uh, is the third chart. The third chart is looking at basically a heat map of all the bids and asks um, across different venues. In particular, uh, in this chart, we're looking at Bifinex. The reason we're looking at Bifinex, Bifinex has a higher hit rate than most of the other venues. Uh, if not, they have the highest hit rate. Uh, kind of back testing, looking at all of the kind of you know quote unquote walls that they set on the both bid and ask side. Um, generally speaking, you know Bitfinex tends to kind of be the the you know smart money in a sense, and whenever they kind of you know place either a buy or sell wall, that tends to have some uh, dictation on on future price movement. Uh, and so what we see currently is that they had just actually in the last hour or so uh, kind of set this ask wall between 45 and, and 48K. So that's confluence as well. Um, you're seeing some, some you know, large asks step in from, from Diffinax in particular. Um, what you don't want to see is like a partial fill. So this seems kind of counterintuitive. Um, like what you want to see for bulls in this scenario, because we're talking about an ask wall you want to actually see it fully get filled, see all their orders get filled. And conversely, if it was a bid wall, what bears would want to see is, you know, full fill of the the bid wall. The reason is because like the market basically moves in two ways. It moves because of, you know, effort and absorption. So effort being active orders that are stepping in, right? So when you just go on, you know, whatever venue you're using to allocate the Bitcoin, you just market buy, right? You're buying at the the Market price. It's like if you go on eBay, right, and you hit and you hit buy it now, right. You're willing to maybe pay a little bit higher of a premium just to go ahead and get the exposure and lock in your your purchase, right. Uh, and then there's limit orders, and limit orders are essentially saying. And I like to use this eBay analogy because I think it I think it makes somewhat of, of sense. Um, you know, you go on eBay, something's listed for fifty dollars. You don't want to pay fifty dollars. You say, well, I don't deem that fair value for this item but I'll step in and place a bid at you know, 40 bucks. If it fills, great. You know, that's where I, I think this is you know, worth my you know, purchasing power. If not, then that's cool. You know, it didn't reach what I think is fair value. It's the same thing in the order book for Bitcoin, right? And so people come in and they set limit orders uh, both on the bid and ask side. Um, and so whenever you see you know, a clump of bids or asks or, or wall, um, whenever you see that fully fill, that means that the effort in the market is is you know, outweighing the absorption. So in this case, if we see this ask wall get fully filled, to me, what that's indicating is that the effort or the active orders uh, is outpacing the amount of absorption or the, the this wall of asks that we're looking at now or, or limit orders that we're, that we're looking at now. Um, so that's what I'd be looking at. You know, Kind of the, the bear scenario would be these bids fill like 60, 70%, and then price reverses. Because at that point, it's it's showing you that the amount of effort in the market couldn't outpace the amount of absorption that was set out, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, aside from everything I just said, specifically talking about the order books, across the board, looking at order books, on-chain, and technical analysis, all three are showing that the kind of 46, 47K area is an important level for BTC. Um, and so when you talk about kind of, you know, This other framework that we've been talking about is kind of there's value buyers and momentum buyers, right? And so I think for a lot of those kind of momentum market participants or trend-following strategies, a lot of those will kind of trigger if we can get above that area.
0: So when you start to look at this, it's obvious that that area is really, really important, right, in the spot market. Uh, I saw you tweeting this morning about the open interest just violently spiking upwards, Uh, and we've got the chart here for that as well first explain like when we see these massive movements up in open interest, what is that telling us is happening? And then how do you evaluate this in comparison to some of the spot stuff you were just talking about?
1: Sure. So open interest is just telling you the number of contracts that are open. Um, so that's where open interest by definition is telling you, it's telling you how much futures, you know, how many, how much interest is there from the futures market, you know, in being active in in Bitcoin. Um, And so, you know, a lot of times, like when I post this, people will automatically think that when I'm saying open interest is up, that it's bearish. It's not necessarily the case. I mean, most of the uh, times that we've spiked up into the zone in the chart has been bearish. Um, But all all it's all open interest rising is telling you is that there's a large amount of, um, of contracts coming into the market. Right. And so that could be aggressive longs or shorts. Um, So with that being said, again, all this is telling you is that there's, a large amount of, or buildup of contracts in the system, but we need to look at other things to kind of, you know, give us hints as to the aggression of the positioning because there's always a long for every short, sorry, Cody's deciding to, to eat my chair. Um, There's always a long for every short. It's all about kind of gauging what's the aggression of the market participants on both sides of the contract. Right. So the example that I always like to use is for example, you know, you have one contract, you could have like a, you know, degenerate on the long side that just wants leveraged long exposure, but on the short side of that, that contract, you could have a market maker who's taking the short side of the contract, but they might be, you know, Delta hedged and by being long spot. So they're you know long spot and then they're, they're short, the, the perp contract. So, you know, it's, it's all about kind of gauging what's the risk profile of uh, all the different market participants that are making up that open interest. And we can look at the two charts after this to kind of, uh, to kind of gauge that positioning. Um, not only can we do that, but we can also look at in real time, um, aside from kind of, you know, the, the what I just said, we're gonna look at the next two charts. That's kind of somewhat of, of um, a predictive approach as to kind of trying to gauge the open interest. And the other thing we can do is look at, you know, how is the open interest behaving? And that can kind of in real time, give us more clues. So what do I mean by this? Like if, you know, as we talked about 46K, Really important price level. If 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 the price starts to, you know, wick above that and you know open interest is kind of you know just flat or increasing and you don't see any kind of wipeout in open interest, then that probably is indicating to you that a lot of that buildup hasn't been aggressive shorts. Right. And and um, you know, conversely, if if we start pushing above that price level, you start to see OI kind of you know spike down at, on 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 pushes up, that's, that's showing you that, you know, shorts are getting forced to close um, above that price level. So I would say, you know, you can look at the next two charts that we're about to look at. The other thing you can simply do um, is just, you know, sit out for a second, wait, see how is open interest reacting with the price level, uh, and then kind of, you know, gauge your your thesis from, from there. Uh, but with that, we'll look at from a more predictive standpoint, um, two charts to kind of gauge, uh, in a you know predictive sense, what what do we think that, you know, how do we think that open interest is is positioned? So, so first we'll look at um, the spot. Go ahead. My bad. I no, I was going to say, so up. the
0: spot premium, explain what's going on here yeah. with this first of the two charts.
1: Yeah. So on the bottom, you'll see perpetual is basis. This is comparing the aggregated spot price versus the aggregated per price. Um, and so whenever the indicator is green, so you'll see whenever it like, you know, flips negative, that's just telling you that the spot is trading at a premium to perps. And then conversely, whenever it's gray or whenever it's positive, um, that's showing you that perps are trading at a premium to spot, or in other words, spot is trading at a discount to perps. Um, And so we've been in a pretty prolonged regime of spot premium um, over three months now, which I'd have to go back and double check on this, but I'm like 90% confident. This is one of the longest uh, spot premium regimes that we've ever seen in Bitcoin's trading history. Um, So that's, that's one thing. The second thing is, is the, the chart after that, which is the annualized rolling basis, the three-month basis, or in other words, a, you know, quarterly, which I've been calling it in the newsletter. Um, you know, Essentially, this is uh, the difference between the current spot price and the three-month futures contract. So you can buy spot um, and you can sell the future, capture the difference um, when the market's in contango. Um, so what I did here was I, I took that basis and then I adjusted it for inflation. So for CPI inflation, of course, you know, if we want to get really nuanced, I, I don't think CPI is the proper gauge of inflation. But nonetheless, um, adjusting for CPI inflation, uh, the you know three-month basis is currently in backwardation. Um, and so it's currently at like negative 2.5% or neg- I know it's negative 2 point something is some change. Uh, i posted it last night the exact decimal point if you want to check uh it's, it's just shy of negative uh three percent uh but this current regime of of uh negative basis is lasted 65 days um compared to the 35-day regime that we saw uh during last summer uh, and so to me this combined with uh, the regime of spot premium that we've been in is showing to me overall that we've just kind of got this healthy kind of derivatives greed reset quote of, if you will um and you know in general you're kind of seeing a lot of that exuberance that's kind of cooled off from the from the derivatives market
0: so when you start to think about this it it feels like uh we're watching a lot of the i'll I'll call it more kind of macro uh data points point towards bitcoin uh we were joking earlier that uh everyone in the mainstream media seems like why is bitcoin not going up it you know there are geopolitical instability inflation it's like well like Bitcoin's up, you know, about 30% or so since Russia invaded Ukraine, and and it just feels like the volatility sometimes masks these types of moves. But then if we start to look at the on-chain underlying metrics, and and I know you've got a couple of these charts, it feels like, uh, I think you said last week, like there is this laying out of a scenario where once a catalyst happens, it will ignite based on this illiquidity in the uh, supply. Is that kind of still how you're thinking about this?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the way Lynn Alden's put it is basically, you know, we've got the fuel laid out, but we need the spark, right? And and so the, the two charts that we're about to look at are kind of uh, visualizing that. Uh, the first one is the long-term holder uh, accumulation ratio. This is created by uh, Checkmate, who's the lead uh, analyst at Glassnode, as well as David Puell from um, Arc Invest. Um, we had David on the, the podcast this week, so I'm looking forward to, to that episode uh, dropping. But... This, this metric essentially compares the um, rate of growth in long-term holder supply to the rate of increase in Bitcoin supply issuance. Uh, and so whenever this, you know, whenever this metric is, is significantly trending down, whenever it's below zero, uh, it's showing you that the amount of long-term holder accumulation is outpacing Bitcoin supply issuance. So in other words, it's got this deflationary aspect to it because more supply is getting locked up than is coming into, into circulation. Uh, and so currently by that measure, uh, Bitcoin supply based off of this specific measure is currently at the most deflationary um, level that it's ever been in, in its trading history. Uh, so in other words, it's showing you the long term holders are locking up a supply at a pace that's you know, outpacing uh, Bitcoin's issuance to an extent that's never occurred before in the Bitcoin market.
0: Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's incredible to see this, man. It feels like we're just seeing this all play out all over again from uh, the summer of 2021. When we look yep. at the illiquid supply shock, uh, we can literally see uh, that that is what was happening. Uh, we'll talk through this a little bit.
1: Yeah, so uh, very similar to summer, except this divergence is uh, now I double-checked after we talked about it last week. Uh, it's now you know, confirmed it's the largest uh, divergence that we've seen um, from this specific measure uh, in Bitcoin's history. Mm-hmm. Uh, This is the specific metric I created uh, back um, at the beginning of last summer and like May or June of last summer. It's comparing the amount of supply held by illiquid entities who are entities who sell less than 25% of the coins they take in to highly liquid and liquid entities. So in other words, it's a ratio of weak to strong hands. Whenever the ratio is ticking up, that means supply is moving towards entities who sell less than 25% of the coins that they take in. Uh, at the same time, this also adjusts for the increasing amount of um, supply. So one of the questions that I would often get about a liquid supply before I created the ratio was, well, you know, isn't this naturally gonna go up as su- you know, supply comes into circulation? But this metric actually adjusts for that because it's telling you uh, the relative amount compared to highly liquid and liquid supply. So it's telling you at all times, no matter how much supply there is, what's the relative holdings between those two cohorts. Uh, and so, as you just mentioned, seeing this tick up over the last two weeks is obviously a good sign, but in general, we've just seen this massive divergence over the last two months, two, three months, really, uh, of supply continually, um, you're know, getting locked up by these entities who have a low historical tendency to sell. Conversely to, you know, what people will often like refute about like exchange balances dropping, right. The argument there is always, well, you know, exchange balances are going down, but people can just move the coins right back to exchanges and, in, in you know, 10 minutes. And technically, yes, that's true. Um, but with liquid supply, it's literally telling you the historical tendency for every on-chain entity to sell their coins. It looks at, you know, based off of heuristics on my wallet, you know, what, how, what, what's the amount of, you know, BTC that I'm taking in and selling. And so, you know, by definition, um, you know, it, uh, aside from like what that argument is about, about exchange balances, this is literally telling you the likelihood of those coins coming back onto the market. Right. And so um, in confluence with long-term holder supply, this again is showing you just that supply is getting locked up. Uh, And I also think it's really interesting to note kind of the difference between now and late 2018 Um, in 2018. I mean, a liquid supply dropping pretty much marked the 2017 top and continued to decline all the way through into the bottom of the bear market. Uh, And so, um, you know that's that's another kind of you know difference between between now and then, um, and kind of the underlying supply dynamics from from an on-chain perspective.
0: What about whales? What are they doing?
1: Yeah, so next chart uh, we're looking at the um, essentially what I did was I took all the you know large whale balances, quote unquote. It's all the entities who have over a thousand BTC, and then I filtered out all kind of the known on-chain entities that Glassnode and specific uh, heuristics track. So, you know, GBTC, the purpose ETF, QBTC, um, all the OTC um, desks that that Glassnode tracks, um, some of these different entities that that they, you know, have heuristics on um, and, you know, have actually labeled. Um, And so then, you know, you filter that out and you get what I, you know, call, quote unquote, filter, you know, filtered whale balances and that's that green line. As you can see whales bought, you know, all the way into, you know, the beginning of, of 2021. A lot of that was, you know, the GBTC arbitrage as well as the cash and carry trade that drew a lot of capital into spot. You saw whales holdings rise really substantially. And then they distributed into that whole kind of, you know, topping period from end of you know, February into the beginning of, of May. Um, they started reaccumulating at the bottom of the summer. We talked about that here on the show i remember that initial pop there at the end of uh, july like it was yesterday um and then they started distributing into the end of the year last year um over the last like month or so you seen some like interesting behavior you saw them kind of buy the bottom at like 33 34k distributed back into this consolidation and then over the last week or so you have started to see their holdings tick up a bit I'm curious if any of that is is dokwan but um yeah, we've, seen it, we've seen their holdings uptick a little bit over the last few days, but still when you zoom out, I mean, we're still in a downtrend from September of last year in terms of their holdings. Um, but conversely though, what you do see is that the smaller guys have been stacking really aggressively. Uh, and so that's that orange line in specific. I just pulled up uh, the entities with one to 10 BTC. Um, and, and so what you see is that, you know, their, their holdings over the last month or two, have really just kind of aggressively moved up. Um, roughly offsetting some of the selling that we've seen from whales over that same time period. Um, so obviously you'll note the divergence between, it seems like the smaller guys have been buying from you know, looking on chain uh, and the whales have kind of been distributing over the last month or two, uh, which is this kind of interesting divergence, which of course isn't ideal, right? Because, um, you know, generally speaking, retail doesn't outsmart large buyers. But if we look over summer, um, you'll see a very similar kind of signature, right? Because, the smaller guys were actually stacking through all of summer. They sold from January, 2021, all the way to May, 2021. And then they bought from the bottom in, in May, 2021, all the way until the end of the year. Um, and they actually front ran all of the whales buying uh, at the end of July. And so you can see that they're like kind of smack dab in the middle of the chart uh, during the summer range of last year. So it's just something to, to keep in mind. Although ideally, what we do want to see is starting to see some of those, you know, the whale balances start to tick up uh, substantially again and kind of break us out of this downtrend in their holdings that we've been in since last September.
0: All right. Now, I got one question for you, then and Joe's going to ask you some questions. Do Kwan says he's going to buy $10 billion worth of Bitcoin. He's got $3 billion in dry powder, and he's starting to buy. He's buying $100 million or so a day, uh, it seems. How much of the recent you know, I don't know, 10, 12% increase in price is just him buying versus other things?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question, right? Because the way he's kind of bought is he's like basically told the whole market that he's going to buy. Um, and I tweeted like a, a week or two ago, I was like, are we just going to ignore the fact that Dokon's about to buy like a billion dollars plus of BTC? And then everyone's like, no, it's priced in. And of course, over the last week, it wasn't priced in. Um, but yeah, I think like the question is how much, you know, a, how much of the how much of the price increase has solely just been people front running him, right? And and you know, people knowing that there's just a steady, you know, bid, a steady TWOP over the last week, right? And and then the, the second question is, will he be able to initiate momentum in the market? Um, and so what I mean by that is I think Sailor, for example, at the end of 2020, I think he played a large role in kind of initiating. Um, some of that momentum, not only just because of you know the corporate treasury announcement, which in itself was was you know you know good for Bitcoin's narrative as kind of that whole you know the inflation hedge narrative that really propelled us into the end of 2020, um, but solely just from a supply demand uh, aspect because you know he took a large portion of supply off the market, locked up a large portion of of you know supply. Um, and so, in my opinion, that kind of initiated or helped initiate some of that momentum um, as, you know, not only you have people front running you, but, you know, you're steadily kind of placing this bid into the market that's, that's uh, you know, helping it drive higher. So, I'm curious, you know, will, will his, you know, bid that, that isn't, you know, he's not finished yet, uh, will that be able to push us over some of these kind of momentum thresholds, trigger some of these, you know, um, trend following, you know, market participants, you know, momentum stuff? Um, will he be able to trigger that? Or will we just see as soon as he's done buying, you know, will we just come right back down? Right. Are people just saying, all right, you know, I'm just gonna step out of his way, let him finish his buys, and then we'll just, you know, continue on down. Um, we'll see. I mean, we have, you know, the way I would approach that question would just be to say, set some definitive levels. We're looking at momentum to get reclaimed. We've talked about some of those things at the beginning. Um, and then just, you know, look at this in kind of an, if then format, if it reclaims, okay, then I guess he did initiate some of that momentum. If not, then no. So that's kind of the way I'm, I'm seeing it. I'm curious if, um, we'll see that kind of follow through once he's done. I they, they, Pom, can we look at this? I just want to look for 10 seconds. I just want to show this one last chart. I think it's, I think it's interesting for people to know. Um, just real quick. It's, it's yeah. the, uh, the last one it's, it's the U S trading hours. So I think this is interesting for people to note because when you look at throughout Bitcoin's history, you know, Asia has really dominated the market. Correct. Um, And, and, you know, you saw that even into like the end of 2020 into kind of early 2021. But since since the end of May, you know, we're talking about like the different types of buyers. We just talked about kind of the size of the buyers and that that whole kind of thing. We talked about the kind of the spending history. When we're talking about where the buyer's coming from, It's really interesting to see U.S. trading hours when you compare them to other, you know, trading sessions and trading hours and the price premium during those trading hours. We've seen over the last uh, year or so, it's 10 months as as of today, uh, the U.S. trading hours have traded at a premium and that's kind of increasingly happening. So I think that's Uh, I just want to say real quick that I think that's interesting that, you know, you're starting to see some increasing interest uh, in Bitcoin from the United States during U.S. trading hours.
0: It's super, super interesting. And I think that this is the type of stuff that, uh, one, kudos to you for, you know, seeing a lot of this stuff. But also, two, uh, I think this is the intellectual curiosity that people have as you can start to understand kind of how this stuff is playing out and it's ever changing, right? It's not like the stock market that's been around forever and there's not that much changing. Joe, what questions you got? Yeah, I was going to actually ask about that because I saw your tweet this morning and I thought that was interesting. Uh, My other question, though, would be around some of the stuff we've seen in the news. I I feel like we've talked about this before, but I would love to just get a better understanding about how you think about uh, some of these large corporations and entities buying Bitcoin and how you tell that from the data, right? So we've seen, not necessarily buying maybe, but BlackRock, right? They've been in the news that they they are very interested in serving their clients with Bitcoin. Uh, Goldman Sachs, I think you posted on Twitter the the front page of their website, which was very funny. But how do you think about it from an on-chain perspective? Are there specific things that you look at and you say, hey, this is what needs to change to realize that some of these big players are actually in the game now?
1: Well, I think like the obvious thing would just be looking at whales balances, right? And if you start to see those, you know, large buyers, not only in their holdings, but also the number of whales stepping in, um, you know, that's what we saw at the end of 2020. We saw like unprecedented growth in number of whales as well as their holdings. Um, So that would be kind of the biggest telltale sign. Um, The other kind of, you know, Thought experiment I've gone through with with what you just kind of described is when we have these entities coming in, are they looking to actively allocate to liquid tokens? All obviously Bitcoin being the main thing, but you know whether you like other coins or not. I mean these these you know traditional finance people are interested in DeFi and all these different kinds of things. Um, I'm curious, will you see kind of liquid token investing, or are they solely just looking to get involved with? Kind of infrastructure around the asset class, right? Basically, kind of the you know when there's a when there's a uh, was it, gold rush, you wanna you wanna be selling shovels, right? And so, like, will we see Goldman, for example, um, you know, will they just be looking to get involved with building out like OTC desks or like execution arms and infrastructure for large clients? And will they focus on that, or will they actually do some kind of you know liquid token investing? Um, that that's the question that. I don't really have an answer to. Um, I've asked some of my buddies who are, have, you know, a little bit of like Tradify background. They seem to kind of lean towards, they're probably just more in, interested in getting involved in the infrastructure around the asset class. But I guess, well, we'll the only way to really tell is, I guess with time, but from an on chain perspective to like fully answer your question, um, it would just be some of that, the whale stuff that I described would be kind of the obvious thing. You liked uh, Goldman Sachs website? Yeah, I thought it was cool. Um, you know, I thought I thought it was cool to to see the the space, you know, get attention. Um, didn't mention Bitcoin though; it was just uh, kind of you know the whole digital asset metaverse. Uh, that's kind of what it, it seemed like they were they were interested in. But you know, everybody's got to start somewhere. Get them get them down the funnel, right? So I like it. I like
0: it. Well, when you think about um, what we're watching play out here, if DoQuan is successful in backing. Uh, UST with Bitcoin. Do you think we could see a bunch of other stable coins and maybe even central banks kind of follow the playbook, and that just is like a I don't know multi-year you know buy uh, trend that they have to buy the Bitcoin in order to back their uh, their assets.
1: Sure. So first of all, I really liked your interview with uh, Doke on. I took on a I took Cody on a walk this morning, and um, I was listening to it. Uh, what it was like two hours ago actually. So. Um, I like the last question you asked, which is basically like along the same premise of what you just said. And his answer was yes, uh, and and I, I kind of agree with him in that he's he's basically kind of setting the playbook for um, you know other protocols and just other entities in general to back currencies with Bitcoin as a reserve asset. Um, although Bitcoiners you know don't love Luna as you know being another you know blockchain right. Um, at the same time, you know, I think Bitcoiners aren't, you know, fully appreciating the kind of gravity of in real time, we're seeing a currency, albeit maybe not the one that they would love to see. Um, we're seeing a currency being backed with Bitcoin um, as, you know, the pristine collateral that it is. Uh, and so I think it personally, it's a genius move by Doquan. Um, and I do think that over time, um, you know, once, once Bitcoin's liquidity grows, you know, you can't back the U S dollar with Bitcoin quite yet. Uh, But, you know, I think over time you'll, you'll see more currencies uh, be at least partially uh, backed by Bitcoin. Maybe over time we start to see something like a part gold, you know, part Bitcoin backing at first or or peg, I should say at at, at first. And then maybe over time that pivots to solely Bitcoin we'll see, but I do think this is uh, kind of a, you know, an interesting, um, you know uh, it's kind of zero to one event in terms of, of currencies being back with BTC, very similar to kind of like, you know, the, the sailor immaculate conception of corporate treasury announcements. Um, you know, I think, or, or the El Salvador, you know, nation state adoption. Like I think this is up there with, with those types of events in terms of significance for uh, Bitcoin's adoption moving forward.
0: I completely agree. I think uh there's a lot of reasons why people may not like it, but I actually think this is incredibly bullish. And uh, I mean, after having talked to him, like he's a Bitcoiner, right? He, he understands, yeah. he he gets exactly why Bitcoin is valuable, pristine collateral, et cetera. So it's pretty cool. Uh, before we let he's you know. He's not go, competing
1: with Bitcoin. He sees it as additive. And that's, I think, correct. you know, although I don't, I, like full disclosure, I don't own any Luna, but, you know, I think some of the Bitcoin people maybe should, you know, realize like, you know, they like Doquan sees Bitcoin in the same lens they do, and and you know he's trying to uh, make it an additive thing because he he understands the value proposition of Bitcoin as that pristine collateral in the same way that they do. So,
0: correct. Um, before uh, we let you go, uh, tell us about the uh, the podcast and uh, and the interview you got coming out.
1: Oh, sure. Thanks for the plug. Um, I'm having on Yasin, Alamandra and David Powell from Ark Invest this week on the pod. So. Uh, it should be out tomorrow sometime tomorrow um we talk about all things on-chain derivatives um they're doing some cool stuff they've got a lot of research uh coming out new cool stuff and they've got a couple metrics that they created so we kind of ran through that including the uh the uh long-term holder uh, accumulation ratio that we talked about um uh, earlier in the in this conversation so should be a should be a fun one but um if if you're interested Uh, hop over on on Blockware intelligence that's our that's our youtube channel so
0: awesome man all right well everyone feels better when uh when it's green not red seems like price (laughs) is going up at the most basic level so we'll uh, we'll keep watching and uh, we'll talk again next week but i appreciate you coming on
1: all right brother you guys have a good weekend thanks again by the way he's
0: at 599 he's almost at 600k
1: oh well it's getting close yeah, let's go. Push them over the edge there, you know, maybe. Joe?
0: Uh, maybe if Joe tweets once and Everywhere. tells everyone to go follow you. <laughs> That'd be the smart thing to do. If you want some free alpha, go, go, uh, go follow Will. <laughs> All right, buddy. Sounds good. See you later. See you, Will. All right. See you guys. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com. We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more, and I'll meet you guys for the next episode.